I have been a Baptist 51 of my 54 years. Uh, my wife has, has been a Baptist all but just a small handful of years her entire Christian life. My kids, my adult children, have been Baptist their entire lives. So here's the question. Why is that? Well, I would be intellectually dishonest if I didn't admit that my environment had a lot to do with that. I mean, I, I, I grew up in a home where when it came time to go to church, you went to a Baptist church. I mean, there wasn't a time like when I was 10 where my parents said, Derek, we want to have a conversation with you. We want to explore the the Christian claims of Catholicism, Episcopalianism, Presbyterianism, and Southern Baptist, come back to us, tell us what you've decided. That's not what they did. I got up, I went to a Baptist church. My kids grew up in a Baptist preacher's home. They got up, didn't you, buddy? And went to a Baptist church. Our, my, our environment played a huge role in, in us being a Baptist. Now, let me ask you another question Why am I a Christian? And you may be expecting me to say, well, because of my environment. It is true. I grew up in a home where I was exposed to the claims of Christ from a very early age. Some of my earliest memories are church-related memories. Some of the, the first things I remember owning, in fact, the first thing I remember owning is, is a little King James Bible that had Jesus and some children on the inside, and you'd open it up and it had some pictures of Jesus. That's the first thing I remember owning. So you're saying, well, probably you're a Baptist because of your environment. You're a, you're a Christian because of your environment. But here's what I would say to you. I am fully committed to the idea that I am a follower of Jesus, that, that everyone who is a follower of Jesus is a follower of Jesus because of something more fundamental than their environment. There is something else at work, and that's what we're going to explore today. So if you brought your Bibles with you, I hope you did, turn to 1 John chapter 4. We're in a series of messages where we are going through the letters of John. Started back in January, took a break for Job. I think we all remember why. And now we are back in the, uh, the study of the letters of John. And, and last week, John has introduced the idea of being able to discern competing claims of Christianity, being able to discern truth claims as being right and from God and error. And last week he talked about the idea that we should test all truth claims by the life, the ministry, and the teaching of Christ. But today he is going to introduce a new idea of why and how we should in, to, uh, um, assess competing truth claims. And what he is going to talk about is why we believe in the first place. So I hope you found 1 John chapter 4. Would you stand please to honor the reading of God's Word? 1 John chapter 4, we will begin in verse 4. 1 John chapter 4, verse 4. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world. Therefore, they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. May God add a blessing to the reading of his word. You may be seated. John has this interesting way of doing things. He's passionate. I mean, he's super concerned about this, this network of house churches that he's established because they have, 
been infiltrated by false teachers. And so he spends a lot of time very passionately rebuking those false teachers and warning against their influence. But he does that in such a strong way that sometimes he senses that the people to whom he's writing have become unsettled themselves, beginning to wring their hands a little bit and wonder, well, my goodness, am am I going to fall prey to that? Have I fallen prey to that? Is my salvation in jeopardy? They've been very nervous. And so what he does is after having rebuked strongly, and last week he talked about testing those spirits to see if they were from God, he begins to build up and encourage people and say, I'm not worried about you. You're going to be okay, and I'm going to tell you why. And today, he tells them why by talking about why we believe in the first place. And here's the first thing he talks about concerning belief that I, I want us to think about today. First of all, we believe by grace. We believe by grace. It's very fashionable to have a life verse. Social media feeds are full of people's life verses. When I was a youth minister, and there could still be overt religious references in graduation ceremonies, I can't tell you how many times the valedictorian would go up and give their life verse as being Jeremiah 29.11. Jeremiah 29.11 is that verse in Jeremiah. It says, I know the plans I have for you, plans for good and not for evil, to bring you to your desired end. And they would always apply it in the sense that everything is going to be super great for me because I'm God's special person. Wildly out of context. Because if they understood that verse, what Jeremiah is saying is your life's not going to turn out at all like you thought it would. In fact, it's going to be terribly hard. Nothing's going to go right for you. But don't worry, even in the midst of that, I have good plans. Nobody's ever quoting their graduation ceremony verse like that. Well, life verse... Uh, tends to be, for many people, the last part, not the first part, but the last part of verse 4, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. It's a way of reminding us that the Savior who rose, who reigns, and who resides in our hearts is transcendent over all things in the world. So, When we turn on the news and we have worry and we have fret over everything that we see going on in the world, We are to take heart because he who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. The one who came to steal, kill, and destroy will not reign over the one who reigns. And and the principle's there. We're to take that away. But it's a little bit out of context because the specific thing that John is talking about here is about how to deal with false teaching and my concern that I'm going to succumb to the false teaching. And so, here's what he says. Let's follow his logic. Little children, which is his preferred way of saying, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. Little children, he said, you are from God. All right, bear in mind, he's trying to help them, encourage them to to know that they won't succumb to the false teaching. He says, little children, you are from God. You are, in essence, one begotten by God. Jesus Christ is the Savior from God, the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. When we surrender our lives to Him as Savior, by the means of His blood, we are made right with that God, and we are adopted through Christ as the sons of God ourselves, the sons and the daughters of God. So, when He says you are from God, He's beginning to talk about about this this incredible connection you have with God as Father. Little children, you are from God. And then he says, and have overcome them. Who are the them? 
Well, the them are the false teachers. The them are the people who have begun to deviate from orthodox Christianity and believe and teach other things. Now, notice how he says it. You are from God and have overcome them. You've already beaten the false teaching. You've already beaten it because you are from Him. And then he says what we uh, celebrate. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. You are a child of God adopted through the blood of Christ as the child of God. By, by the means of what Christ himself has done, you have already overcome that teaching because the teaching of Christ that resides actually in you, because the author of that teaching resides in you, makes you victorious over the false teachers who are to come. So, why in verse 4 is he saying, I believe that you will continue in the faith, you won't succumb to this, because Christ is in you. So, what is he ultimately saying? He's saying grace brought you to Christ in the first place. The truth resides in you. It was given to you, and because that truth resides in you, was given to you, you will continue on. Christ is the one who brings us to Christ. And because of that, because it's not dependent on some kind of intellectual superiority, because it's not uh, dependent on my ability to be able to uh, assess certain philosophical arguments, because it's not dependent upon me having this kind of robust understanding of theology, because it's ultimately dependent on the gift of God through Christ in my life, I'm going to persevere. I am going to overcome. I will, because Christ brought me to belief, continue in His strength in that belief. Now, this is not the only place that comes out. In fact, it's probably not the clearest place, frankly, that it comes out. Paul, the Apostle Paul, I think says it in a way that, that might click with us a little better. So, if you'd hold your place, everybody's got a couple of ribbons if you've got a fancy Bible. All right, so hold, hold a ribbon there in 1 John chapter 4. If you would, please go back to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians, find chapter 2, verse 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11. Verse 11 is an observation, one that makes perfect sense. Here's what he says, verse 11, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. For who knows a person's thought except the spirit of that person which is in him? It's a fancy way of saying no one can know what we're truly thinking except ourselves. We we ultimately know our thoughts. You can't know what I'm thinking as clearly as I can know what I'm thinking, but let's just be real honest. If you know me very well, you know that I really don't know what I'm thinking most of the time, all right? So you get that. But, but in general, if it's an emotionally balanced person, you can assess that that person knows more clearly what they are thinking than anybody else. And then he goes on and says, just like that, just like that, so also... No one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. So no one knows what God's thinking as clearly as what God does. So how are we to ever know God's thinking? How are we to ever know God's plans? How are we to ever know what God's designs are for us to make us right with Him? He goes on to say this in verse 12. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but 
received the Spirit who is from God. Why? That we may understand things freely given to us by God. What is he saying? He's saying the reason that you are able to comprehend the truth of Christianity in the first place is because God has given you His Spirit which allows you to know His mind, allows you to know His thoughts, and brings you to belief. So the ultimate answer as to the reason why I'm a Christian is not the same as why I'm a Baptist. Environmentally, I was pushed that direction, ultimately made my choice, at least I think, right? But the reason I'm a Christian is because Christ brought me to Christ. That's the truth for any of us. We have not come to Christ because we figured something out. We have come to Christ because He revealed it to us. Now, how does that help? anything. Remember, he is writing to a group of people who are worried they might give up. How does that help them? By reminding them that Christ is who brought us to Christ. By by reminding them that they believe in the first place by grace. It helps them understand that the thing that saved them will keep them. What, what Baptists like us tend to do is think, I'm saved by grace, I'm kept by works. I, I, I'm saved, I remain, I, I'm brought to Christ because of His mercy, but Jesus, I got it from here. I, I can be morally upright, I, I can do all the right things that I'm supposed to do, and I'm going to be okay. And so we set up this ridiculous list of standards that we're meant to follow, uh, that are, are a way that, that we maintain uh, our salvation, because we're saved by grace, kept by works. One of the funniest things, we, we ministered in rural Tennessee for a long time. Occasionally, uh, you can hear that in my voice. Um, all the time you can hear that in my voice. We ministered in rural Tennessee, lived in the church parsonage, um, and at that on Rabbit Trail Road, by the way. That's how deep in the country I was. I lived on Rabbit Trail Road. Um, it actually only had uh, a number. It was like eight Rabbit Trail Road or something like that. It wasn't, I mean, we were out in the sticks, Okay. But living, living on church property, essentially. And one of the things that we would do when the family got together, people would fly in and we'd spend a holiday together, is we'd play this little family card game called Michigan Rummy. Well, cards get you fired in Leoma, Tennessee, so we had to pull the curtains. So nobody so you see what was going on. You know, it's that whole idea. Saved by grace, kept by works. Saved by grace, kept by works. What, it, what does it mean, then, if I'm saved... By grace and kept by grace, it means that it's all up to Jesus. Jesus is going to carry me through. The reason I will overcome is because greater is he who is in me than anything that can come against me by way of a false teaching. Second thing that it does for us is it should give us confidence in sharing our faith. I've been in ministry my entire adult life. I I have learned a bazillion different ways to share faith, presentations. When I started off, it was a thing called EE. Raise your hand if you've heard of EE. Anybody heard of EE? All right, everybody here that's got gray in their hair has heard of EE. And and EE was an evangelistic presentation put together by a Presbyterian named D. James Kennedy. And Southern Baptists began to think, ah, we can't have a Presbyterian, uh, you know, uh, uh, presentation of faith. And so we took the exact same thing and called it something different. I mean, it's what it boiled down to. So we called it CWT. How many people have heard of CWT? All right, few of us. 
uh, heard of CWT. Then, uh, and, and what happened with those presentations is that you ask a couple of questions to open the door for a presentation, and what, what people did at the end of that presentation is regret they ever met you. Because, because you would have a 30-minute lecture that you would give them on faith, and you, you shut up and listen to me. You opened the door for this, and it, you became a, it, was, it didn't work. So, so then we moved to, to the faith presentation, which was shorter. How many people have heard of faith? All right, Several of you have heard of faith. I've trained hundreds of people, literally hundreds of people in faith. The idea is, is that my presentation will pull somebody through. You know, if I, if I get all this figured out just right, and if I close off any kind of rhetorical back alleys, I can pull them through. But let me ask you something. Does somebody come to belief by my presentation? The answer there, if you've been listening the last 10 minutes, is no. It is not my rhetorical ability that brings somebody to faith. Christ brings people to Christ. I'm faithful. Jesus does it. In fact, I went out, not with a staff member here, but a staff member at a previous church, who, who presented the most jacked-up gospel presentation I've ever heard in my life. In fact, I was ready to reject Jesus after the end of him talking. But Jesus changes our words and lands in ears, and the Spirit convicts, and in spite of our presentations, Christ brings people to Christ. Why do we believe? We believe by grace. But then, this next thing. We believe by nature. Let's go back where our previous ribbon was. Let's go back to 1 John chapter 4. And let's look at verse 5. This is an extension of the whole idea we believe by grace, but we're talking a specific aspect of it right now. We believe by nature. Look at verse 5. They, who are they? They are the false teachers. They are the ones who have believed in the false teaching. They are from the world. John, when he uses the world, is speaking of a system that is in opposition to Christ. That's what he means by that. When we, tend, when we think world, we, we tend to think morality, worldliness. That, that tends to be, uh, in our minds, morality. That's not what he's saying when he uses the word world. He is talking about a system that is in opposition to Christ. They are from the world, a system that is in opposition to Christ. Therefore, they speak from that system, and that system listens to them. Here's, here's why he says people don't believe. He says it's their nature. They are a part of a system opposed to Christ, and so they respond to the message of a system that is opposed to Christ. See what I'm saying? It, it, we, when we don't believe, it's because of our nature. That's the reason we have to be saved by grace. It's the reason we believe by grace. Our nature has to be changed. We have to receive the Spirit of God so that then the Spirit of God can open our minds to the things of God. The things of God can be revealed to us. He's saying here, if you don't believe, it is because of your nature. Then verse 6, we are from God. We are from God. Now, again, who, who, who is he speaking of here? Well, he's speaking in really two ways. He's speaking of himself and those who teach with him, who lead with him. We are from God. But he's also speaking 
to those who have responded to the message. We are from God, going back to what he said at the beginning of verse 4, that, that, that we are the sons of God and therefore have his mind and have the teaching of God. We are from God. And he says, whoever knows God, whoever has the same nature by the Spirit of God, by grace, whoever has the same nature that, that we have listens to us. In, in other words, there's something that goes off in the mind of someone who has the same spirit of God when they hear the truth of God spoken. It resonates with them. That is true. I get it. It's because, it's because of our nature. And then he goes on, again, looping back to verse 5, referring to this, um, whoever is not of God does not listen to us. If it's not your nature, you're going to reject it. You're going to reject belief. You're going to reject teaching. And then he says, closing out this section, by this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. By this, testing the spirits, and then also this, by understanding why we believe in the first place. It is by grace and it is by nature. Now, here's, here's what we need to understand about the nature part of this. Alarm bells should go off in the heart and the mind of anyone who is a genuine follower of Jesus when they hear something that is not of him in truth. Even if you don't know why, if you have the nature of God and you hear something or read something or view something that is contrary to historic Christianity, the Spirit of God in you will erupt and say, no, no danger, danger. And if our nature is not of His, we just go blindly along. When I was in seminary, I was, I was trained to be on the lookout for these false teachers that would infiltrate the church. People who, who might, because of their own little Bible study, deviate away from Orthodox Christianity and begin to perpetuate that truth within the body. You know, in in three and a half decades of doing this for a living, that's only kind of happened once to me. But do you know what keeps me wide awake at night? And I'm serious. When I wake up, if I'm fretting, I'm fretting about this. And when I go to sleep, if I'm fretting, I'm fretting about this. You know what keeps me awake at night? The internet. The internet. And here's why. I told somebody this week, everybody has a printing press, nobody has an editor. And so people are just saying whatever they want to. And things are starting to just get perpetuated and just show up out there all the time. And here's what I've noticed. I have noticed with people who ought to know better, if you include religious imagery like a cross, and then, especially if you pair it with a flag, people will uncritically just go with it without stopping and say, wait a minute, wait just a minute. Does, does what this group and what they're saying about Jesus match 
what Jesus said? Does it, does it reflect Orthodox Christianity? Or is it just a corruption of the true Jesus? Is it just a corruption of, of the true teaching of the faith? What I've noticed is that, is that we, have, we have seared our hearts, seared them, and, and are losing the ability to listen to that alarm bell that goes off. And so the reason I stay awake at night fretting about something as silly as the internet is because the wolves are not in here, but they are roaming, roaming the people of God constantly, and God's people are sticking their heads in their mouths. Belief is by grace. I am a follower of Jesus not because I figured something out and I'm smarter than everybody else. I'm a follower of Jesus because by grace I was given the Spirit of God and God taught me the things of God. Christ brought me to Christ. I am a believer. I believe because that nature that I was given in that transaction changed me. And so I am able because of Christ in me to say no or yes, all of us who are believers in Christ have that ability. So let's be really careful. People's forces of darkness in our world want to peel Christians off and ruin and wreck our moral and spiritual credibility in this world. Let's wake up to that spirit in us that says no. And understand that if we perpetually over and over again fall for a lie and fall for a lie and fall for a lie and perpetuate that through our interactions with one another, Think about what that says about your nature and if you're really his in the first place. Serious stuff we're talking about, but God's grace pulls us through. Let's pray together.